Hi, I'm Steve Hayes, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a sinner, and I love stories. I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear how God has worked in their lives to help change them and make them who they are. And I think we all need to hear those kinds of stories. So I hope you'll enjoy it and listen along with This Is My Story. I'm Roy Sanders III, and this is my story. Hi, I'm here with Pastor Roy Sanders, who has become a friend of mine. We met through Harmony Alliance, which is a new ministerial alliance among pastors and and leaders in the community, Christians, who um, you know just came together mainly because we saw in this town a need for greater diversity, mm-hmm. greater representation among churches, and um, and Roy came and was a part of that, and we have had kind of a, I don't know, I guess we, we still don't know each other all that well, mm-hmm. but we have kind of a kindred spirit. Right. You know, sometimes you just know. Yeah, exactly. And I think we just know, right? Exactly. Um, so, man, thanks for being a part of this. You're you're married. You got four kids, three girls and a boy. Three girls and a boy. Wow. <laughs> So wow. we're outnumbered, but it, yeah. we're, we're still holding it down. Got your hands full with all of them girls, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be praying for you, man. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, now, one of the things that I know about you, but I don't know the whole story, so share with me, share with everybody um, a little bit about your experience in the military. Okay. Uh, well, I started out, uh, of course, born and raised here in Corsicana, uh, in ROTC out at the high school and did that for about three and a half years and just fell in love with it, fell in love with the discipline, the structure and everything. And um, I just decided my sophomore year that I wanted to make a career or at least go for a career in the Air Force. And uh, once I graduated, that's that's what I did. Uh, matter of fact, it was three days after my 19th birthday, I enlisted and uh, was down in San Antonio for basic. After that, went to tech school and uh, Actually, just to back up a little bit, um, once I got to uh, to uh, basic training, my mindset was to go to the military, see the world, pay for college, you know, stay, you know, five, six, seven years, get out and just kind of have it made. It didn't happen like that. You know, uh, two weeks in, 9-11 happened. So that changed my whole scope. Wow. And just to, I always say, this lets me know God has a sense of humor. I'm in a room and we're picking our jobs, and I happen to pick fire protection, which is basically a fancy way of saying firefighter. Right. And uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, 9-11 was happening right as I'm picking my job. And who's on the front lines? Firefighters. Wow. And so as soon as we come out of that, uh, we go back to our bunk, and I, everything just kind of sinks in. It's like, okay, everybody's talking about going to war. Everybody's talking about doing this and doing that. And I'm thinking, like, wait a minute. You know, this is not what I... This is not how I envisioned it happening. And so yeah. I had a panic attack right there in the latrine, in the bathroom. And when I think back to it, it's kind of funny because here I am. I've only known these dudes, about 60 dudes. I've only known them for about two weeks. Here we are hugging and crying in the bathroom wow. because all of us are thinking the same thing about we're going to go to war, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. 
And uh, one of the guys that, that were uh, I was talking to, he said, you know what, we're brothers. And whatever's coming, we're going we gonna to go at it together. Mm. And that just stuck with me, you know, from that day even to now. I don't know him, and he happened to be a white guy. Mm. Didn't know him from Adam. But when he said that to me, it was like, okay, I'm locked in now. You know, this, wow. this is what I signed up for. Whatever comes, this is what we're going to do. And uh, my sister, um, she sent me the 91st Psalm. And that scripture to this day is is one of my favorites because it just lets me know no matter what comes in your life, as long as you are with God, you know, everything's going to be all right. And if I haven't had to live that over and over and over in my life, you know, I don't I don't know how I would have been able to get through it without knowing and having that knowledge of that of the word of God. Wow. And so being in the military, uh, fast forward through basic training, uh, then I go overseas I'm over there for about, I think we were over there for about three months. It was 20 of us. Where'd you go? <clears throat> we went to a place called Qatar. It's okay. about, it, yeah. it's shaped like the, uh, the state of Florida, mm-hmm. sits right off into the uh, Persian Gulf, yep. uh, which basically on the land, the place right on the other side of that is Iraq. So we were, we were right there in, in the mix. Yeah. And uh, we went over there 20 deep and for three months, you know, everything is kind of, you know, going as it's going. And then they tell us, well, you're going to have to forward deploy to Iraq. Mm. I'm going to be combat firefighters. So I'm like, okay, God, here we go. You know, uh, if I'm honest, I would rather not. But, you know, if that's what I got to do, I got to do. So I prayed and I just left it in God's hand. No Thanks. more no more panic attack. No more panic attack. No, you, I just, just, you just rested in I the Lord. Rested in the Lord. And when I tell you that made the difference, because there were people over there, you know, doing any and everything to try to get out of, you know, oh, yeah. going going forward. If, if mm-hmm. I could say it like that. But, you know, you just have to trust God. Now, thankfully, just when you let go and let God, he already had it worked out. He already knew who was going to go and who wasn't going to go. But sometimes he takes you. And like I tell people, he'll let you get right there to see if you really trust him. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have said, you know, praise God, this, that and the third, as long as I'm not facing the fire. Right. But as soon as I got my feet to the fire, it's like God is like, OK, I'm, I'm going to see if you're really legit. And yeah. when I prayed. And continued to pray and just rested in him. You know, I wasn't one of the ones that had to forward deploy. So okay. I'm, I'm still in that in that uh, area. Mm-hmm. Well, out of the 20 that went over there, everybody got sent home except for me and five other guys. Really? So now we're stuck. I, I say stuck. We're still there for another four months. I spent a whole uh, a total of seven months over there. Wow. Now, just imagine being over there 20 men deep that mm-hmm. at least came with you. Everybody goes home except for you and five other guys. And then they keep telling you every week, you're going to go home. You're going to go home. Then they say, we don't know when you're going home. What happened again? Now mm-hmm. I'm back, back in my prayer closet. I'm back praying, God, you know what, what we're, we're here for. You know why we're here. You know how long we're going to be here. So let me just do whatever I have to do while I'm here. Right. And I tell people the first three months that I went over there was for the United States. Those last four was for God. Mm. Because that four months, I got closer to God than I had ever been before. You know, I had been saved since the age of 14, but my relationship with him didn't get personal, I I would say. It didn't get authentic until he got me in a place where I was all by myself. Well, if you had to put that in a word, Mm -hmm. what word would you use to describe the shift there in your walk with God? What would it be, like dependence or what? I, in a word, I would say dependence or solitude. 
And I say solitude because stateside, I had all kind of distraction. I had women. I had, you know, um, I'd say toys, cars, uh, mm-hmm. entertainment. Mm-hmm. I mean, work, all kind of distractions that kept kind of got, kept God on the back burner. Right. It's like, I see you, God, but not right now. Uh, I'm with you, God, but I got other things to do. Mm-hmm. And so when I went overseas, I didn't have all that. Stripped away. Stripped away, all of it. And so mm-hmm. now it's either you're going to go crazy or you're going to humble yourself and listen to me. And mm-hmm. so when I got there, I started having Bible study. Uh, okay. If I wasn't in a Bible study, I was studying by myself. You know, and it just got to a point where God began to speak to me and tell me, Here's what here's my plan for your life. So you started to develop a, a Bible study with the other people who were there. I did. Uh, initially, it was the chaplain that was there, and then okay. he and I we kind of got pretty close. And then he left, and he was okay. like, they used to call me Slim. So he was like, Slim, it's in your hands now. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, cool, you know, we got a whole bunch of people. I could just take it from here. Right. I was kind of arrogant, you know, kind of proud. Yeah. So um, when that uh, happened, the people left. And so here I am at a chow hall, basically a um, cafeteria, and nobody's coming to Bible study. I'm thinking like, wait a minute. We were just 20 people deep two weeks ago. Now chaplain's gone, and now I'm here. And God is like, I set it up like this. Hmm. So here I am waiting for people to show up, and I'm having Bible study in a cafeteria all by myself. Wow. You know, and God let me know it wasn't for them at this point. It's for you is to see if you're really going to stand for me outside of the distractions, outside of the crowds, et cetera. And mm. it was kind of weird, you know, being the only guy in the child hall with a Bible and everybody's just kind of walking by you <laughs> looking like, what does this do? What's his problem? And God kind of, I, I'd say he put me to the test to see if I'm going to close my Bible and walk away or if I'm going to stay there and allow him to minister to me. Right. And that's what I did. And from there, from that point on, I knew that, you know, God had a calling on my life. It wasn't just uh, to to do this, right. you know, when I want to do it. It's to to live for God and go and be whatever he, it, it is that he would have me to be. And so um, wow. that that's where I would say it really, really got real for me. Yeah, that's pretty real. Yeah. That's pretty real. You know, a lot of people talk about the stuff being taken away from them oh, or, yeah. or being stripped away or them being in a circumstance and they— Every time I've talked to somebody like that, they have grown, mm-hmm. oh, you know, um, and they and they wouldn't trade it. No, not at all. Um, not at all. So, how long before you came back stateside? Uh, from that from that moment, it was probably another two months. So, it was okay. a total of seven months that I was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to show you again how God got a sense of humor, <laughs> every week they would bring us in for a briefing. Uh, we don't know when you're going home. Well, it might be next week. It got to the point where I was the last one in into the meeting because I knew, well, they're just going to tell us they don't know. Right. So one one evening I was on the computer and a gentleman came in. He said, pack your bags in, in the form that you would tell military people to pack their bags. Right. Wasn't very polite. Right. But he told us, <laughs> pack your bags. You're going home. So okay. what did I do? I jumped up from the computer and threw everything I had in a bag and, and went through the protocol of proce- processing out. Right. When I got to the um, the airport, if you will, we flew home on a flying hospital. So as I'm flying home, I'm sitting in a um, in a um, I guess you call it a jump seat, okay. and right in front of me is a gentleman who is there. He was injured in Iraq, laying right in front of me, and it looked like he was wrapped up in a baked potato bag. And wow. all you could see is the respirator going up and down, up and down. Man. And I'm sitting there like, 
this is this is real. Yeah. Like this, I'm up here complaining because I'm left behind, so to speak, and here's this gentleman mm-hmm. in front of me clinging to his life. You know, that even put things in perspective. Like, Roy, it could be a lot worse. You could be in his position. You could p- perhaps have been dead, but yet you have all of your members and you're flying home. And wow. so from there, we flew from uh, from there to uh, Germany. Then we, of course, came back stateside. But um, all of that, um, it just really was a life-changing um, oh, um, time in my life. I, I can honestly say I was not the same coming home than I was when I went for, for, for that reason. Yeah, and I'm sure you developed a kind of a mental toughness. Oh, yeah, yes. You know, that yeah. you, you weren't going to be rattled yes. as easy. Yes. And uh, you can't go through something like that. No. If everything's going to rattle you, you, you'll go crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you have to uh, develop some mental toughness, and that's a blessing and a curse. Mm, yeah. And I say that because if you're there, you have to be, be mentally tough mm-hmm. like that. You have, to, you have to learn how to compartmentalize things, yeah. to not let things bother you, so to speak. Yeah, so you get kind of hardened. Exactly. A little bit. Exactly. And that's fine while you're in a war wartime mentality. But like I said, I have a wife and four children mm-hmm. and you can't just turn that off. Yeah. And so when I got married, you know, that's a whole nother world in and of itself. And so it took time to really readjust to uh, regular life, if you will. I bet. And, and I went through many peaks and valleys, you know, dealing with that. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. And you hear a lot about that, yeah. about you know, kind of getting back into civilian life, right. so to speak, and how, um, you know, just because of that compartmentalization that goes on just for you to be able to survive and right. get through everything that you're experiencing, how it makes you, um, you know, hardened and maybe uh, gets you to a place where you can't just relate to normal life anymore. Right. Did you, did you feel like that's what you experienced? I did. I did. Um, I tell people when I came back, they do this thing called, um, uh, what is it? Uh, debriefing. Okay. And it's gotten a lot better now, I believe, than it was when I came back. When mm-hmm. I came back, this was my debriefing. They brought us in a conference room and they said, is anybody uh, feeling sad? Anybody feeling down? Anybody need mm-hmm. to talk to a counselor? Now, you're telling grown men who hadn't seen their wives, girlfriends, loved ones in God knows how long if they want to prolong seeing them by going to see a counselor. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Most of us were because when you come back, you, you don't naturally, you don't automatically feel the difference or realize the difference. It, some, yeah. some of us, it takes years. When did you know that you weren't good? I honestly didn't know that I wasn't good until I got married. Because okay. that's when I was, I don't want to say forced, but that's when you're expected to kind of open up. And I was very okay. closed. Okay. You know, and so when I was put to the point where I needed to open up, I, I would open up, but it would be in a negative way. It would be yelling, gotcha. fussing, all kind of things. And it got to the point where I felt like I was an animal. Like, what what's mm-hmm. wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You know, and it got to the point where... I, I did some research and I went to the doctor, went to the VA mm-hmm. and um, got that understanding of what was going on. And it broke my heart. And mm-hmm. I remember telling my wife, I understand if you want to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, because seeing these horror stories that people deal with, with, with situations like this, I, I can't blame you if you want to leave. Wow. And she told me, I'm, I'm right here. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Things weren't fixed that day. That I'm just, it was like me saying, "Babe, I I got some issues. Do you are you sure you want to stay? If if not, I'm good if you leave." So that was the day that you acknowledged the problem. Exactly. And you got to acknowledge it if you're going to get oh, yeah. out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you acknowledged it. It became a real issue to you. I'm sure you knew something was going on underneath, yeah. but you couldn't. Yeah, you, maybe you can't put really your finger on it. Can't really put your finger on it because mm-hmm. you think that you know maybe I'm. Maybe I'm just angry. Maybe I'm just mm-hmm. upset. Maybe I'm exhausted. Maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, you give yourself all kinds of excuses, but then when you find out that there's a name for it, when you find out that there is a reason for it, it could make the strongest man feel this small. Yeah. Because I tell people all the time, I got a running joke at my church that I'm Superman. And <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm perfect and all powerful, but it's I kind of use it as a guise to say, even Superman has bad days. Even Superman right. gets uh, uh, weak sometimes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But... Um, to really feel like you're this small when the world sees you as this big is like, it's, it's a reality check. And yeah. so to know that so many brothers and sisters have just not been able to cope with or handle those those pressures, you know, I, I can only accredit my getting through it to God because there, there have been so many opportunities and instances where I could have just went off the deep end. You know, over some things that were great, some things that were small. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I had that voice talking, right. encouraging, giving me that insight, that's what's kept me on the on the straight, straight and narrow. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So what would you tell someone? You know, we're we're going through a time, mm-hmm. a season in our history that is unlike any that that at least people in our generation mm-hmm. and, and and the younger generations have ever endured before is this pandemic mm-hmm. and the tension that has, you know, affected our world as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, you read every day and you hear every day. And even I've experienced a little bit of this kind of, you know, depression yeah. as a result of it and kind of, you know, anxiety as a result of it. Yeah. What would you tell people who are experiencing things like that? in order to be able to kind of get through this? I would say, first and foremost, take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Like, people say that, but honestly, those just taking a step back and just looking at everything that's around you. Because like you said, all these things that's going on can kind of make you feel like you're in a fishbowl. Like yeah. everything is just kind of closing in on you. And so one thing that I believe would help us is that if we just take a step back and just recognize, yes, everything is kind of out of whack right now. But you got to look at the positives. You know, I was just actually having this conversation with myself today. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I can name 100 things that's going wrong in my life, but I can also name 101 that's going right. Right. And so when I look at at it that way, like, yeah, you're going to have problems until Jesus come back to get us. So if you're looking for that day or that season where no problems exist, that's not real. You know, so, so was that part of your experience when you were went to the VA? You mm-hmm. saw other people who were going through maybe the same types of thing, but just on another level, and yeah. it was able it, it enabled you to be able to say, "I got an issue, mm-hmm. and I don't want to get like that." That and I have an issue, but mine may not be as worse as it could be. Got you. Or if mine is, let's say mine is a 10 and the max is a 20. Right. Yeah, I would rather not be at a 10, but thank God I'm not at a 20. And so while I'm at a 10, I'm going to go and get the help I need to be able to manage this team. So did you talk to anybody during that time? Do you? 
I did sit down and visit with a counselor or anything like uh, that? I went to counselors, um, several counselors, uh, and just talk to them and just kind of, you just pull your heart out. Yeah. And when you talk to them, it's really not so much what they say to you is what you've been able to get out. Yeah. And that's just them providing a safe place for you to just open up because you can ask any military man or woman, uh, we are not that prone to just open up and tell you everything that's going on. Right. We might give you a little nugget, but to just be in a space where you can just say, look, I'm thinking about suicide or yeah. I'm thinking about just going up and just slapping the living daylights out of this guy who looked at me wrong or, or right. whatever, right. you know, and just to be able to say that and say it in a space that, you know, I want to do that, but I know I shouldn't do that. Or I, I'm thinking that, but I don't want to do that. And then they actually help you to understand here's, Here's um, some some avenues that can help you ease back from that. Or what do you mm-hmm. think has led you to that point? You know, yeah. if you have those kind of thoughts or those issues and you don't seek the help, then you're going to be one of those that may go on a rampage and hurt somebody mm-hmm. or whatever the case. So yeah. it's, it's not a weakness to say, you know what, I need help. That's actually a strength. I'm so glad you said that because I, what I hope that the people listening to this will take away from this part of it is... Um, there is no shame right. in getting help. Right. You know, really the only shame comes from not getting it. That's right. Because then you find yourself kind of continuing to spiral down downward, continuing to hurt the people around you and yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, if someone can help equip you with the tools mm-hmm. to, to be able to deal with these things, it's worth it. It's right. worth it. So, you know, humble yourself. Go see somebody, talk right. it through. I've been to counselors. Mm-hmm. You've been to counselors. Yes. But we're, we're not weak men. Right. We're, we're men who've been through a lot in our lives. Um, you're, you know, Air Force firefighter for crying out loud, yes, you know, Superman over there. <laughs> if he can go get some help, you can too. And Absolutely. so I want to encourage whoever is listening to this to really take that to heart. You know, Absolutely. it's okay to get help. Absolutely. And it's okay not to be okay. We right. all find ourselves there. That's right. At times. So um, another source of tension that we are going through right now, this is a politically charged season. My goodness. And here, you and I are doing something right now that that we're not supposed to be doing. Right. You're a black man. I'm a white man. Right. And we're talking on election day. Yeah. About real stuff. Yeah. You know, that just doesn't happen. No, it, it doesn't seem it doesn't happen enough. Right. Um, so it's election day. This is the most contentious race that I've ever seen yeah. and been a part of. Um, and you and I are both pastors. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I said this or not, but uh, Pastor Sanders is at Love Chapel here mm-hmm. in Corsicana. And so we're both pastors. We both ha- are, are commun- involved in this community, and we have people that we need to help lead and, and guide. And I just wonder what your philosophy is on how you guide people specifically through, you know, a politically charged season like this. Mm-hmm. What are, what are your pers- what's your personal view of that, and what's your personal boundaries when it comes to that? Okay. Uh, my personal view is to vote your convictions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think as a pastor, we have a responsibility to encourage people to get out and let their concerns be heard. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the freedom to tell you who to elect. 
right. know, because I think that would cause more division than unity. Because you might have, a, let's say, a congregation of 100 people and 50 might like this guy and 50 might like that guy. So are you going to tell this 50 to vote for this 50's choice or vice versa? You're going to split mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. And as a pastor, you're there to be the, the under shepherd to the shepherd, meaning you're supposed to bring the sheep together, not spread them apart. Mm -hmm. And so you have to use godly wisdom first and foremost. And that's not always uh, popular. Mm -hmm. Some people want you, pastor, get up and tell us, who to vote for. Like Sunday, this past Sunday, we were finishing Sunday school and I just felt, I was only in my church, but I just felt the tension on the backs of every pastor. I said, I just feel like the congregations are going to want us to tell them who to vote for. They're going to mm -hmm. want us to put down one and put up another. Right. And I preached about something totally different. I said, you know what? You went off the cuff. I went off the cuff. <laughs> you know, we, we preached about, uh, we talked about something totally not even related. You can even tie politics into it. Right. Because I wanted them to know I support your your opinion. Whatever you, yeah. whatever your convictions are leading you to, then, then go there. But by all means, go and vote. You know. Yeah. Now, theologically... For me, this is the way I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Theologically, I feel like it's my it's my role to help build the kingdom of God, right? Not the kingdoms of men, right? And I I feel like um, there is some there is a lot of bleed over. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of overlap between theology and real world issues, right? Cultural issues political issues there's a lot of bleed over and mm -hmm. so you you know as christians we can't compartmentalize our faith right. it bleeds over into every aspect right it really it's not even that it bleeds over it's like it's like an overlay yeah of of everything that we do in this world and it should impact the way that we make decisions and it should impact the way that we view politics right but um I also believe that, that the Spirit of God leads us by guiding our hearts and minds. Yes. And the Word of God transforms our hearts and minds. And so if that's not enough mm -hmm. to lead you <laughs> to who to vote for, right? what am I going to tell you? Right. It's you know what I mean? Can, yeah. Uh, so we give people a political framework, mm -hmm. a biblical framework by which they can make political decisions. Right. But when it comes to issues of conscience, I don't feel like it's my place to tell you how how you practice that. Right. You know? I, I like how you said that we give them the framework. Yes. You know, because we have what I like to call the easy job. We just kind of give you the canvas, but God is going to give you what to paint. Yeah. God is going to work with your mind, with your 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 personality, and, and teach you what to paint. So when it comes to politics, you're going to have those convictions. You're going to know the morals. You're going to know yeah. all of the things that you need to know to make the appropriate selection of right. your, your particular candidate. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if we tell you who to vote for and that, that joker turn out to be somebody that's just off the Richter, yeah. who do you think they're going to blame? They're going to come blame us. Yeah. Well, and, and the other aspect of it, too, is, you know, when, when I'm in the pulpit, mm -hmm. when I'm... Uh, teaching, I'm responsible for rightly dividing the word of truth. That's right. Um, and so at that point, I feel like to bring political personalities and agendas into that space mm -hmm. 
is it, to me it's like uh, it's like taking a can of spray paint and and spraying graffiti over the gospel. Yeah, you know the gospel needs to shine. Right. Not my graffiti. Right. It uh, that just covers up the gospel. That just complicates the gospel. That right. just puts a barrier in front of the gospel potentially. Mm-hmm. And so I want to remove that. Right. And and allow the gospel to shine bright. Absolutely. You know? So. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, I I think politically, um, it's a fine line. You know, it's a fine line on how to how to walk that as a pastor. Is it in in the you know in the black community? Do mm-hmm. you feel like you have more pressure as a leader to give political guidance? Uh, I wouldn't say more pressure, but I think uh, they want to hear my voice. Mm-hmm. They they want to know what the pastor's thinking, mm-hmm. uh, whether I tell them who I like, or mm-hmm. in the in the midst of telling them vote for whomever. Uh, but I think that a lot of times people can kind of read between the lines to, to right. kind of figure out, okay, well, he's siding this way or he's siding that way. So, and, they, and they'll come and ask you, well, Pastor, who are you voting for? You know, I was when I came up, you didn't ask people who they voted for. It was, right. it was kind of, you know, uh, bad morals to mm-hmm. ask somebody who they vote for. But that, I mean, you can look on Facebook and people will just tell you unashamed that I'm voting for this guy or that guy. Mm-hmm. And so I think with, uh, within the black community, uh, they just want to know where you stand. Yeah. You know, they don't necessarily want you to tell them who to vote for, but they at least want to know where you stand. Yeah. You know, so that then they can kind of, you know, gauge, I guess, where wherever they want to, uh, yeah. where they want to, where they, which uh, candidate they want to go with. Yeah. Um, I feel like a good kind of rule of thumb is <laughs> let your, let your theology inform your politics right but don't let your politics inform your theology amen you know that need to be on the shirt <laughs> yeah I, we need to make that yeah and i think that's uh that's where we are letting the the cart get in front of the horse a little right. bit these days you know i have known people um who have who have left church mm-hmm. and ch- changed to another church have mm-hmm. hopped to another church not because of the theology, not because there was some scandal, yeah. you know, not because there's heresy being taught, yeah. but because of the politics. Yeah. And um, that, that to me is backwards. Leave, mm. If you're going to leave a church, you better be leaving over theology right. and not politics. That's right. You know? That's right. So, um, and again, there's a bleed over in those issues. Mm-hmm. But when I'm talking about theology, I'm talking about Jesus as king. Right. I'm talking about building God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about lifting him high. I'm not talking about lifting a political figure right. high or right. giving allegiance to a to a king. Right. You know, or, or a president. Right. So um, these are tricky times to navigate. Yeah, they are. And coupled that with everything else, it's it, God bless the preacher. <laughs> we, we have to deal with a lot. Uh, it's lot. been crazy, hasn't yeah. it? COVID mm-hmm. and politics and racial tensions. You yeah. know, what do you think? What do you think the answer to to the racial tensions of the world is right now, and our I, nation in particular? I think it's simple and complex at the same time. Okay, and I say that to say that we just need to follow those two commandments: love God and love one another. Mm. Amen. It's simple. Because we can, we say it, the words just fall out of our mouths. But to do it, 
and then we have to cut through all this red tape or or maybe daddy has to go against or son has to go against father because mm-hmm. father taught him different or right. or daughter has to or kind of go against parent because parent taught different or whatever mm-hmm. and because you don't want to disappoint them then you stay within that that framework and it, it has to be like you said we have to be living according to the king and not yeah. to mama or daddy because guess what if mama doesn't believe and you do believe yeah, that's going to be some tension there yeah what are you going to do you're going to give up on jesus and follow mama or what right you know so when it comes to race i think that um you have to if you lead by just love Love yeah. doesn't mean you're not going, that I'm going to like everything. You got on the blue shirt. Uh, mm-hmm. If you had on the red shirt, I might be like, well, I don't like the color red. Right. I don't have to like the color red. I can still love you. I can still right. like you. It just means I'm going to make fun of you when you wear the red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but we let too many simple things just break us apart. Don't you think we're overthinking it in a lot of ways right now, too, that we let all the, the uh, it's so loaded mm-hmm. now. The topic is so loaded mm-hmm. that people are afraid to just come to the table and be straight up with yeah. each other. But I think that's the only thing that really is going to get us through is that's, that's just being real with each other. I, I like that you said that because it's, it's loaded with so many different pieces. And yeah. some of those pieces are relevant. Some yeah. of them are irrelevant. But in order to get the conversation had, we're going to have to bring everything to the table and then kind of sort it out. Yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of people, black and white, Hispanic and otherwise, are, I don't want to say afraid of, but just hesitant because mm-hmm. we feel like, well, if I say this, it's going to start a, a, a fight. Right. Well, some of the best decisions come after a debate. Some of the right. best decisions come after me hearing your side and you hearing my side, and then we compromise. Yes. Because when we had a meeting, one of our brothers said that he had been taught the same thing that I had been taught. And then, and so he said, I don't understand the big deal. And yep. so another brother said, well, you, your daddy may have taught you to act this way when the police pull you over. My daddy told me the same thing, and here's why. You might, you might move your hand off the steering wheel, and the cop might tell you to put your hand back on the steering wheel. If I move mine off, I might get two bullets in the back. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. It shouldn't be a difference, but that is the difference. Mm-hmm. And so how do we fix that? Well, we have to not only understand each other, but then we got to take it to the parties that might be causing that and fix that problem. Yeah. And then that might settle one part of polit- politics or one part of racism or whatever. And yeah. then you move move on. It, it's, it's not going to be fixed in a year. It's not right. going to be fixed in one uh, presidential term. This is something that has been years and generations of, of just packing on and packing on. So right. in order to fix it, we're going to have to spend maybe the same amount unless God come down and just work it out. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to put in the work to fix it. Yeah, and, and yet at the same time, you don't seem this way, and I don't feel like I'm this way. It, it's not, it, you don't seem like the kind of person who it's, uh, you're always thinking about race. No. Uh-uh. You feel like, you feel like to me, you're just walking around living your life. I'm living my uh, life. Treating look, people like you'd want to be treated. Right. I look at you and I see a white guy. Yeah. But guess what? I also see my brother. Right. And the fact that you're my white brother, that that's cool with me. You yeah. know, I'm not going to be like, well, I can only talk to him around right. when we're here. If I see you at, uh, what's that place opening tomorrow? Ollie's? If I uh-huh. see you at Ollie's or Chick-fil-A, I'm going to walk up to you and we're going to dap and we're going to hug and right. we strike up a conversation yeah. if I'm with my, my black brothers and sisters or not. Because yeah. race, yes, I see it. 
I, and I'm not going to say oh, I don't see color. Yeah, I see color. Yeah, absolutely. But guess what? That doesn't define my next move. Yeah. That just says, okay, he white, and guess what? Yeah. I'm going to have a conversation with him. Yeah, everybody sees color. It's yeah. human nature right. to see color. And and everybody makes judgments. Absolutely. Everybody does. Just uh, it's nature. But, you know, uh, I think we've gotten to the point where we're so afraid of, um, like, I can tell you this. There are times whenever I'm walking in a store mm-hmm. and I and I'll see a black guy or I'll see a black woman and I'll and I want them to know that I'm not thinking anything weird about them. Yeah. Like I outthink myself. <laughs> like I'm not thinking anything weird about you. Yeah. I just want to make direct eye contact with you and smile at you. Yeah. And but then I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna they're gonna think I'm giving them the look mm-hmm. just because they're black. Mm-hmm. You know. So what do I do? Well, most time I just kind of put my head down and walk on because I don't want them to feel weird. Mm. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I want you to know. I see you. Yeah. I don't feel different about you. Right. I, I can love you, you know. Exactly. But it's so charged, even that is, feels complicated. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it shouldn't be that way. And I, that's what I grow weary about. Yeah. That's why I think me and you have been cool. Yeah. Because we see each other and there's like a comfort level right off the bat. You right. know, it's like, uh, we, we could be friends, you know, yeah. and there's none of that junk. There's none of that games overthinking right. going on, right. you know? And that's, that's what I would like to see. Right. And I see more and more of that, honestly. Yes. There are barriers to it. Yes. But I think if you fight through it and you come at it genuinely, you know, with what's really in your heart mm-hmm. for others, I, I just think that's that's a big part of the answer. Yes. Not letting that fear rule you. Right. And it's you know? like you said, it's, you have to take the time, mm-hmm. you know, because like you said, there's no angst when you and I uh, get together and hang out. Right. Um, but then there are some times where I could be somewhere and I feel like, yes. okay, I'm the, I'm the brother in the room. Right. You know, I, <laughs> they, they must think because I got, I'm dressed like this or dressed like that, mm-hmm. that I'm going to do something. Yep. And it makes you feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I don't lash out in it. I, yeah. I know who I am. I've been prejudged plenty of times. Yep. Even in my workplace, I was prejudged until they took the time to get to know me. And now I don't feel that angst anymore. And they don't treat me how they used to treat me. Mm-hmm. And you would rather not have to go through that. Yeah. But that's the that's the world we live in. And, yep. and we can either accept it and be miserable or we can say, you know what, this got to stop. I'm finna walk up to Steve and just say, man, how about them cowboys? You know, or whatever. Whatever's going to kind of be that hey. icebreaker. Hey. And- <laughs> hey, how about them cowboys? <laughs> you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I, I asked for that one. We're going to put them on the podcast because they need it. Oh, they need it, man. <laughs> you were talking about overthinking some things. Right. The cowboys. Right. Oh, man, goodness. it's hard to watch, isn't it? It is. Who is Danucci? I have no is idea. Is that how you say his name? I think so. Who uh, is that guy? Third string quarterback is what I call him. I think you need to, I mean, you could probably step in there I, I and would make least, some Danucci throws. I would try. I would, <laughs> hey, I would try. They signed me to a contract. I'm, I'm, hey, put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. <laughs> but how about them Saints? They did good. Who that? They did good. I, I like um, I like the Saints. I like their coach. Uh, I like the quarterback. Uh, I, I like. I just can't. Every because he used to be with the Cowboys, so I kind of I'm I like him, but you know. Oh, you talking about Peyton? Yeah, yeah he used yeah. to be with Dallas, so mm-hmm. I like him, but you know I'm still kind of giving him the side eye. I always thought he would kind of end up in Dallas, you know, as the yeah. head man. I bet he does one day. Yeah, 
he needs to probably be the head coach. But, something, something needs to happen with yeah. the Cowboys. I feel bad for him. Yeah, they, they shot. I feel him. really bad for Dak. I think that hurt everybody. Dak's from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. He went to Mississippi State, but we'll forgive him for that. Yeah. But I think Dak's for real. I, I think, think he's he got is. talent. I think he's a good leader. Yeah. I think he's, he seems to me to be just a good man. Yeah, he's you know? real humble. Yes. Real humble. He doesn't really seem real flashy or whatever. Uh-huh. He wants his money, true enough. Well, but I think he deserves it. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. now you know why he wants yeah, his money. Exactly. You know? This is helping him tremendously. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I, you know. We got off track a little bit. Though. You said, how about them Cowboy, man? I, I couldn't just let it go. Right. All right. <laughs> I'm going to get some flack about that. Trust yeah. me. If anybody <laughs> listens to this, it's going to be trouble for me. Um, man, I can't thank you enough for taking some time. You know, who Absolutely. knows if these little conversations do any good for anybody, but um, it's important to me. Right. And one of these days, you know, we need to have a lot more of them when the microphone's not right. on and right. just keep it up because that's what I've been encouraged about more than anything recently with that Harmony Alliance. Mm-hmm. You know, you got different people in that room, yeah. way different yeah. people. You got Charky, who is a bull rider, <laughs> you know, a country boy. Yeah. And, and you got, uh, I mean, you just got so many different yeah. voices in that room. And different colors and different church cultures represented. Right. And um, but when we get in that room, it's like the ego just goes down, yeah. and everybody just wants to love. Everybody, just you wants can to feel love. the love in that room, right? You know? Absolutely. And that's what I think. The that's where Christ comes in in all yeah. of this. Absolutely. Because if He's the one that binds us together, mm-hmm. that's more powerful than any of these externals and and any of the the cultural barriers and any of the history even, you know, right. with Christ there. That's right. I think we can really overcome and and move forward. That's right. And um, I see that in that room. Yeah, it's it's really, um, I just like the way it came about, you know. Yes. It, when you think about everything that's going on, and here we, many of us have been in this city for mm-hmm. only God knows how long and yeah. never connected, Yeah. you know, and it took a pandemic, all of this division yep. to bring us together in harmony. Yeah. And only God can do that. And nobody was trying right. to force it. Right. It just happened. I've seen it forced before and before it was time, before it was a move of God and it yeah. was just it wouldn't it wouldn't work. It felt forced. It felt weird. Yeah. This this is just it's happened. Very organic. Right. And it it's it's God working. You yeah. know. And I think He's going to continue to work. We're going to see big things come out of this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh-huh. We, are, we already are. Yeah. You know, because I, I always, I, I thought about this for a long time. When Ferguson happened, I thought about this. Mm-hmm. I thought, Ferguson is Corsicana. Like, it it could very easily, yeah. that's, that's here. Yeah. You know, that's not somewhere else. Right. That could happen here and probably has happened here. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't seen it blow up quite the, quite the same way. But... Right. Um, what if it did? Would we even have the relationships and the bond of Christ among the pastors and the community leaders? Mm-hmm. Would we have that enough that we could step into a situation like that right. and and bring peace? Right. The peace of God that passes all understanding. You know, would that would that 
would we be effective in that as a, as community leaders? Mm-hmm. And the answer has been no. Right. We would be. We have failed mm-hmm. in that, and finally, it's starting to feel like that answer could be yes. Right. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. If it had happened, if that had happened here, Ferguson, like you said, a year ago, we'd be in a world of trouble. Yep. God forbid it did happen now, I, like you, I think we would be more suited to, to link arms and walk together yep. rather than to kind of try to figure it out. Yes, you know? I agree. Well, let's keep praying to that end, man, Absolutely. And, and keep let's keep doing it. Absolutely. I love you, man. appreciate love you. Love you too, bro. Thanks for being a part of this. Absolutely. All right. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe. And if you'd like to spread the word, please consider leaving a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Our video podcast is available on our Grace Community Church YouTube channel. This Is My Story is produced and engineered by Jake Moore and is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Corsicana, Texas. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speaker and do not necessarily express the views of Grace Community Church. Thanks for listening.